Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 9, The Mysteries of Mushrooms, with John Nicolotti of Catskill Fungi. In this episode, we speak with John about how he quit his job and devoted his life to mushrooms, about what mushrooms even are, about the health benefits of mushrooms and how to make the highest quality, best medicine out of them. He gives us some foraging tips, and he speaks about how science is catching up with folklore in the fantastic world of fungi. Hi, welcome, John, to the Plant Cunning Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we usually start out with just asking a little bit about who you are and where you're from um, and a little bit about what you do. So if you want to just give us an idea of who you are, that would be great. Sure. Yeah, my name is John Michelotti. Honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, from the planet Earth originally, and have been living here my whole life. Um, yeah, and the part of the Earth I'm from is is just outside New York, and I'm presently living in the Catskill Mountains um, in New York, uh, where I've been cultivating mushrooms and started a company called Catskill Fungi, which is really all about inspiring connection with fungi and the natural world. And I got into mushrooms by going on a mushroom walk that happened a little over a dozen years ago. And I was raised that mushrooms are poisonous and they're going to kill you and don't touch them. And have always been interested in the natural world and um, foraging and um, growing and hunting my own food. And this was a world that I had no idea about. But the more I learn about it, the more interested I become. And it's really grown from a passion to a business with my company, Catskill Fungi. And um, we also not only are educating others and inspiring that connection um, through different mushroom walks in the woods, but three-day workshops where we teach about cultivation, about wildcrafting mushrooms, and about medicinal fungi including how to make mushroom extracts, which we also make with our company and sell at farmers markets and stores and online. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like the brief overall about me and my company. Yeah, that's, that's all really, it's all good work. So thanks. How, who are some of your mentors in uh, this mushroom adventure? Yeah, I was really lucky to, um, the first mushroom walk I ever went on was led by Gary Linkoff, who was uh, a world-famous mycologist and was somebody that lived in New York and became my main mentor throughout the last 10 years and uh, was somebody that really inspired me to look deeper into the world of fungi and was not only an excellent mycologist, but an excellent man, an excellent teacher and a humble person and was somebody that um, really kept on me. And even as I would, I like traveled around Ecuador when I was really getting into mushrooms and, and studying microremediation, which is how fungi can clean up oil spills and toxins from soils. Um, he had me come up on stage and talk about my adventures down there. And then also it was just about 2014, he gave a talk um, to a lot of these mycological associations and they have these like annual meetups where for three days, there's a whole group of mycologists sharing information together and finding fungi in the woods and categorizing and labeling and naming everything. Um, and he gave a talk entitled, Quit Your Job and Devote Your Life to Mushrooms. And he included my picture in the presentation. Really? So I kind of took the hint 
and <laughs> I've been happier ever since. Cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was, he's a great, great man. And, um, we had a really great, uh, last year. Unfortunately he passed away two years ago, but the right before he passed away the year before, um, we were singing duets, uh, in Telluride of mushroom parodies. And, um, he invited me to write, um, a chapter in his book, the complete mushroom hunter revised. And it was a chapter on five easy ways to cultivate mushrooms. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so he was, he's a real mainstay chapter two. In, yeah. in the mycological yeah, sure. world. And he's also featured in the movie, Fantastic Fungi, which if you haven't seen, you should really check it out. Fantastic Fungi, it's, really, it's put together very well. Um, and it's a movie about all the different uses of fungi and ways in which they've interconnected the world for longer than we've given them recognition for. Um, but also Gary Linkoff was featured in that and it was a beautiful thing because it was when Louis Schwartzberg came out to Telluride Mushroom Festival, he captured the last mushroom walk I ever went on with Gary. So that was captured in that film. Um, yeah, the visuals in Fantastic Fungi yeah. are mind Yeah, the time. Like, so true. I don't know how they captured such beautiful yeah. the fungi. Yes, there are these time-lapse photography that you can witness the mushroom growing before your eyes. So cool. It's, it's fantastic. It's really worth seeing. So, yeah. So I, it seems as though mushrooms and fungi are having a, a bit of a resurgence in popular culture these days, and everyone's just interested by them. I mean, they're kind of dangerous, um, but they're, they are so, there's so many useful things about them and they're so powerful uh but what what are fungi what what and is it fungi or fungi <laughs> what, what are they aliens are they uh are they plants <laughs> animals <laughs> yeah that's a really good question um they are and it's fungi it's fungi it's fungi it's fungi it's really interchangeable depending on what country you're in but okay. it, yeah. you're not going to be faulted for saying it anyway okay you'd like um Yes, they're, they're very inclusive beings and they are their own kingdom of living things. So they're separate from plants and animals. Um, they are similar, they're more similar to animals. And we, we split evolutionarily off um, in a few different ways, which we can talk about, but we both breathe in oxygen, exhale carbon dioxide, um, we both break down food in similar ways. And the way we diverged evolutionarily was that animals decided to make stomachs to digest their food internally. So we take food in our bodies, enzymes are released in our stomach, which break down our food, and we absorb the nutrients. Well, fungi continued to do this externally. So if you can imagine this interconnected network, it's more like a web because it interconnects back in on itself, whereas plant roots kind of consistently um, branch off. These connect back to themselves and they're running throughout the earth in, under our soils and in dead wood, and they're excreting enzymes externally at the end of these um, tips of their net-like mycelium they excrete enzymes which break down their food source, lignin, cellulose, hemicellulose, the building blocks of wood, and then they absorb those nutrients through those same uh, mycelial networks and translocate them to grow. Um, and there's more fungi out there than there are plants and animals combined. And we only have scientific names for about 10% of them and only common names for about 10% of those. So it's a largely unexplored kingdom which what we're finding more and more as we study them is they're a keystone species. And, you know, are they from outer space? That's yet to be seen. Um, you know, there's, there's a basic life cycle of fungi where mushrooms that you see above ground fruiting um, either on the side of dead wood throughout the wintertime here in the Northeast or um, fleshy fungi that are fruiting from the ground um, during the warmer months, they produce, all those mushrooms are there to produce spores. Similarly to trees producing fruit 
that make seeds to spread and grow more trees, mushrooms make spores, which are microscopic and are everywhere all around us. And then every breath you take, you're breathing in thousands of different spores. Oh, wow. And these spores travel the globe, they float around, and they're incredibly resilient. And when they land on a substrate that they like to grow in, they start that interconnected network called mycelium. And from mycelium, mycelium is like learning the word tree, where the mycelium is alive 365 days a year in an interconnected network that you don't even see because it's below ground or it's within the soil or it's within dead wood. And from that mycelium fruits mushrooms. So mushrooms make spores, spores make mycelium, mycelium makes mushrooms. But spores are incredibly resilient. Um, I'm sorry, what were you saying? So the, the mushrooms are more like a fruit. They're the fruiting body. That's right. And then the, the spores are the seeds. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and the spores are incredibly resilient. So you ask about like mushrooms from outer space. We've, they've taken ice core samples from Antarctica, spores that were in the atmosphere millions of years ago, and they've gotten them to germinate in fruit. So wow, they're incredibly resilient. And that kind of leads... Um, theorists to hypothesize, well, it's hard to prove this, but, you know, if spores could have been frozen in rock and ice and traveled to the earth in meteorites, they could have potentially started life on earth because some of your earliest multicellular life is a fungi-like bacteria. So, cool. uh, yeah, really, it really begs the question, are they from outer space? They are somewhat yeah. alien looking. Yeah. But. So you took your mentor's advice and you did quit your job and, and devote your life to fungi. So how, uh, how did you do that? Because I know yeah, a lot of people a, would love to do that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. And in fact, um, I started giving a talk this past year. I gave one to the Telluride Mushroom Festival about how to quit your job and devote your life to mushrooms because there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And I interviewed a lot of other people that did the same thing to follow their passion and, and grow their passion into a lifestyle that supported them uh, financially and, and throughout their whole lives and, and support their uh, way of being and their values. And there are some common threads there. Like for me, I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of work as you can imagine, but, um, you know, I really did a lot of research and I visited probably two dozen mushroom farms and I said, maybe growing my own mushroom farm was the way to go. And, and I really, um, worked one job while doing a lot of research for mushrooms on the other, you know, in my free time. And it was only until I kind of found something that I felt like would work for me and, and um, looked good on paper. It's kind of that boring work of, you know, finding out whether it's actually going to be able to support the lifestyle you choose. Um, and before I found something that worked, I mean, it took a couple of years of, of finding what that would be. Um, but yeah, once I found it, I, it's, it's really a leap of faith. And thinking, you know, will this work out? And fortunately, it has over the last few years. Um, I also recommend seeking out advice from people a lot smarter than you, like I, I did. I constantly yeah. seeked out advice from people that were, you know, had done it before or had skills that, you know, I didn't, I hadn't yet acquired. And so, um, always recommend, yeah, learning from learning from others around us is really the way to do it, too. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned in the int in the intro that um, Catskill Fungi focuses on mushroom extracts that you sell at farmers markets and education. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you want to tell us a little bit about your the medicine that you make, the mushroom extracts? Sure. Yeah. So we make. Um, mushroom extracts, triple extracts from fruiting bodies that are grown on our family farm or wild crafted in the Catskills. 
um, or linked up with local farms within two hours that we're sourcing mushrooms from. Used to grow all the mushrooms ourselves, but um, there's really only so much time in a day. So we started sourcing lion's mane from uh, from a local farm around here that's certified organic. And, and, and that's cool too, because you're supporting another local yes. grower who's dedicating their lives to mushrooms too. So that feels yeah, really good. Yeah, it's great. But we, we love going out wildcrafting out in the Catskills as well. So um, most of our mushrooms are wildcrafted and are grown in the pristine mountains. And it's important to know where your mushrooms are coming from. Um, and once we harvest the mushrooms, we dehydrate them. Well, first we sun dry them because mm-hmm. whether you're eating shiitakes or button that you're finding at the farmer's markets or growing them yourself or getting even button mushrooms at the store, if you take your fresh mushrooms or your dehydrated mushrooms for that matter, and you put them in the sunlight, in direct sunlight for four to six hours a day, they'll hyperaccumulate vitamin D uh, oh, by the factor so of a hundred. So, so important, especially in the North. Yes, yes, especially in the north in the wintertime when we're covered up, when we're outside in the, in the, in the short hours of the daylight. Um, to get enough vitamin D in your body is really an essential, essential thing for us. So uh, we, we do sun dry our mushrooms first before dehydrating them, and then we grind them up into a powder and we do an alcohol extract, a cold water extract, and a triple decoction or a hot water extract. And then we combine those liquids into uh, a form so that our alcohol percentage is around 30. And this is something we've been making for quite a while. We also teach people how to do this. And uh, through our three-day workshops and a variety of other workshops, there will be a couple coming up at the New York Botanical Gardens online um, in the springtime. But yeah, these mushroom extracts we sell at farmers markets and stores, and it's a really great way um, to do it because we see our customers week after week, and we get feedback directly from our community. And it's from the support of our community that we're still here. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's one of the main values of Catskill fungi as well. So uh, it's important to, I mean, why is it important to have a triple extraction as opposed to just like a single extraction or double extraction um, and of the fruiting bodies instead of, of the mycelium or something like that, which in a lot of health food stores, if you go, you'll just get, you know, one vari- one kind that is, my, you know, made from mycelium instead of fruit. Yeah, it's bodies. a great question. And it's one that um, as mushrooms become more popular, that consumers should be aware of. And there is quite a difference between them. And um, I'd say the first thing when assessing what extract you're purchasing, you're looking at is what, what form are you getting that fungi in? And yes, you're right. If you look at the back of most of the bottles, it'll say, you know, reishi mycelium or chaga mycelium. And there is quite a difference between the mycelium and the fruit body or mushroom. And it's technically not legal for people to be putting mushroom on the bottle if they're using mycelium, but a lot of companies are still doing that. A lot of companies are still putting mushroom on their label, even though it's not the actual mushroom. Um, And there has been a lot of difference there where you can you can kind of keep in mind that when you're growing mushrooms, you are actually growing mycelium first. You're growing mycelium in a substrate or something that it likes to grow in, and the mycelium grows through the substrate and then fruits a mushroom. Now, in order to grow mycelium in a substrate, it takes a lot less time to then harvest that substrate and make an extract than it does to actually change the conditions to fruit a mushroom can take months. So it's a lot easier just to grow mycelium than it is to wait three more months and put all that energy and humidity and and light into them so that they fruit mushrooms in order to harvest them and make a higher quality product. Now, mushrooms themselves are just condensed mycelium, but the medicinal compounds are, they're 
they're they're accumulated at a much higher degree in the mushroom fruiting body than there are the mycelium. And there's a lot of uh, research around this as well. Um, also, when you're when you're looking at mycelium products, sometimes what companies are doing, you can't necessarily separate the mycelium from the grain or from the wood it's grown on. Yeah, so, that's going to be super hard and yeah. I'm you know, time consuming to try to pull apart all these little threads from the grains. So they just grind it all exactly. up. Exactly. So a lot of your polysaccharide oh, content can be actually coming from the grains, not the actual mushroom, the mycelium. So, yeah. so this is where it can kind of throw off magazine tests. But, um, but this is why mushroom fruiting bodies are a better way to go. And there's other mycologists out there that are saying, different things out there. But, um, you know, I truly implore that you do your own research in it, but everything we've seen, and, and believe me, when whenever these mycologists come out and say, oh, the mycelium is, it, I'm not saying it doesn't have any properties. It definitely has some really substantial properties in the mycelium, but they're just finding higher concentrations in the fruit body again and again. Um, it would be a lot easier for us to be able to just uh, harvest the mycelium. That's for sure. But um, the other side of that too is like, for instance, with reishi. I mean, if you go out in the woods and wildcraft it, uh, you're getting you. You don't have to grow it in a warehouse where you're. Uh, you have the uh, humidity and the heat and, and the light and all that kind of stuff. It's doing it naturally. Yes, and they've actually found that at least with shiitakes, Cornell Cooperative Extension did a great study on uh, indoor grown shiitakes on, on grains versus outdoor grown wood log grown shiitakes. And um, they did taste tests side by side and um, nutrient density. And it's almost like the difference between a summer tomato in the outdoor grown logs and a winter tomato in, in the indoor grown. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the nutrient density is higher in these natural environments yeah. and the flavor is a lot more rich and, and deeper. So and I imagine uh, there's more, the, the subtle essence of it is, uh, is stronger too. You get like the essence of the forest in a way. Mm -hmm. Chi, yes. good chi. Right. And then, you know, I always encourage people to empower themselves to do it themselves too. And, and obviously you should know your mushrooms if you're going to pick them. I always recommend people triple check their mushrooms, get three pairs of eyes on it. Um, agreeing that it's the same thing but by wildcrafting your own mushrooms too you should also be aware of the environment um, you should know that it's coming from a pristine source because if it's coming in an area that has been polluted or they've sprayed um, within the last hundred years even you could be upcycling certain toxins from the soil so um, yeah knowing where it's grown is important and then as far as the triple extract goes um, you know, this is something you can do yourself at home as well. Um, you, you know, you don't feel so intimidated by it, but um, each one of those extracts is is getting a certain types of compounds. So, an an alcohol extract generally gets your sterols, ergosterols, and things like this, which are strong for antiviral and have immune properties to them. Your hot water your cold water extract gets enzymes and your hot water extract is going to be getting your polysaccharides which is um, a lot of your also immune modulators and things like this so um, this is why we do the triple extract because each one of those processes gets different things from the mushroom um, which then get combined and yeah potentized um, what was the other thing? Yeah. So it's, it's also important in the case of chaga to do an alcohol extract because there's certain things within the chaga, like the outside, um, hard black conch is there's, they're loaded with, um, betulin, which is really excellent in terms of being anti-tumor and your body can't really absorb betulin and you can make tea out of it, but it kind of runs right through you. But if you put it in alcohol, that betulin transforms to betulinic acid, which your body can absorb. 
So yeah. it's kind of through these three processes that we found. And, and most scientific studies will have one of these processes and show based on this process, this amount of grams and, you know, this calculation, we've yielded this result. So when we were first, I, I used to be, I used to make mushroom extracts for friends and family and myself for a while before I made the jump. Um, and it really just came naturally to, to start the company because there was a lot of people that were interested in mushroom walks and there was a lot of people um, that were in the health food store. They had mushroom extracts coming from the other side of the country and then they had local plant extracts. Uh, so when I asked them if they wanted local mushroom extracts, they got really excited. But I really spent a lot of time, if I was going to do this commercially, I was going to try to create a product with the most integrity as possible. So I started peeling through the scientific studies and finding which extract processes yielded certain results. And then I combined those. And so a lot of these were done with fruiting bodies and were specific types of extracts for a certain amount of time and, and everything else. So it took a long time to, to figure that out and, and put it together and combine them. But, um, but it really, it really makes the difference. And I'm happy to see people at the farmer's markets again and again, week after week. And, um, and yeah, hear how it's positively affected their lives. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. And so you recommend mushroom extracts over taking a capsule or doing a tea or decoction because it's um, extracting all of these different constituents? Uh, I do. Yes. If, First of all, I recommend incorporating mushrooms into your life in whatever way you're comfortable with. Mm. And if you have a source of something that's local, like, great. Um, I, you know, just try it out. It's not going to be bad. If you have source of tea and you want to start drinking tea and you like that, then do that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you're coming to this for the first time and you're ready to take, you know, just anything, then I would say, really look into liquid extracts. First of all, liquid extract in any, no matter what you're taking, is the most absorbable form for your body. You're going to be absorbing the most from a liquid extract than you would a powder, hands mm -hmm. down. Okay. And then as far as um, certain companies out there, yeah, they're sometimes selling powder that you mix up into a liquid. You really wanna be sure of what process they're doing. Um, there's even some companies that I've seen that have excellent branding out there, but they're using raw mushrooms. They're just putting raw mushrooms in a powdered form, okay. yeah. which have not been extracted. Which yeah. so oh, your body no. can't even digest that. That's yeah, it's it's really tough one. Like I always tell people when we're doing mushroom walks in the woods that you always cook your mushrooms. Yeah. You always cook your mushrooms because even the raw ones at the salad bar, like those should be cooked because yeah. um, the mushroom cell walls are made of chitin and chitin is the same uh, exoskeleton cell wall as lobster shells, insect shells. Like it's a very hard, dense material. And most of us, because we've been cooking food for so long, we've evolutionized out of having the digestive enzymes to break apart chitin. And so there's only like a 10th of us that still have those digestive enzymes that can break down chitin. So um, by heating our food, you're kind of, um, you're opening up that chitin and you're able to get the nutrients. And without doing that, not only can it be a little bit taxing on the liver, but you most likely won't be getting most of those nutrients from eating raw mushrooms. Um, so yeah, it's one of these things that you know, some people are just jumping on the bandwagon of the popularity of mushrooms, but they're not doing the research in what's healthy for them. Um, so yeah, knowing whether, a, you know, look on the back of the box, see if it's made with mycelium or fruiting bodies, see if it's made with wood grown, wood grown fruiting bodies is certainly better than grain grown. Okay. And then also, um, yeah, noting what process they're doing and that's a really hard one to find out is like what process each company is doing to 
get to a capsuled form. And I know people that have taken capsules before and were drinking reishi tea switch from that to taking uh, our catskill fungi liquid extract of reishi and they noticed a potent difference. Like I ask people, they say, oh yeah, I've been taking mushroom capsules for a while. I say, great, how do you feel? And they say, well, we don't, I don't really feel a difference. And if you're not, if you're taking reishi or lion's mane and you're not feeling a difference, um, you know, you might want to consider either making it yourself or finding a mo more potent source. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So if you uh, do want to make your own reishi tea, um, how do you do that? Is, is it as simple as just pouring hot water over some cut up reishi? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's a lot of ways to approach that. And just, just as a last aside for the last comment I, yeah. I made, I do also just want to say that, you know, every person's different and, you know, you know, what works for me may not work for, for you or for the next person. What works for me now may not work for me later. And so um, also just note that, you know, there are no silver bullets out there and that like people, um, you know, just to be open to that. that yeah. Um, going to solve all of our problems? <laughs> no, they will. <laughs> they will, but not all at once. Um, yeah. So yeah, that being said, if you want to make reishi tea, I really like starting, well, first of all, grinding to a powder uh, increases surface area. So you're going to be getting um, the most out of it by grinding it to a powder. Um, and I would put that powder in a cheesecloth so that you can reuse it because with reishi, you could probably reuse it multiple times and you can steep it in hot water. I would say you'd want to do that under 170, 180 degrees uh, because above 180 degrees, you're breaking down beneficial polysaccharides and you're, you can even decoct it um, in a way that reduces it. You know, you can start with, we start with three times the water and reduce it down to a third. And so that means that you're kind of accumulating those benefits. Now, the flavor after you do that is pretty potent. So some people just like to steep their reishi for maybe 15 minutes. And then you can pull that cheesecloth out with the reishi in it and reuse it again multiple times. Um, now, after you were to make your reishi tea, and maybe you're getting your reishi at like a local health food store um, or you know, your dried reishi at a local health food store. There's, there's all sorts of different ways online that you can source it as well. Um, but even after you're making and steeping that reishi tea and maybe, you know, you're, you're finding that it's a little bland um, after you steeped it maybe like four times, five times, I, re I recommend taking the next step and taking that powdered reishi and putting it in um, vodka or rum or, or something to kind of now take it to that alcohol extract. Um, so, because then you're making your own tincture and you can really help to boost your immune system. I always recommend people use these mushrooms with reverence and, yeah. and really appreciate them for everything they have to offer. So you know, maybe after making the tea, try the next step of getting all those medicinal benefits from it. Yeah. So what are some of the benefits of reishi and chaga and what are, what are the mushrooms that you take every day? Yeah. So reishi, I feel like is your best overall mushroom. It's one that modulates. So, um, it modulates the immune system, blood pressure, uh, blood sugar, cholesterol, and what that means is if you have an overactive immune system, such as an autoimmune disease, or if you have seasonal allergies, reishi can help to lessen that. It's also an anti-inflammatory. So it's, it's, that's, that's a good balance to have an anti-inflammatory that's also an immune modulator. But by modulator, that means that if your immune system is too low, it can bring it up. So it can help boost your immune system if it's a little low. And so um, 
this is the same thing with like blood sugar, cholesterol, and blood pressure. It really balances it. It helps your body balance itself naturally. And it's also something that is an antiviral a, and something that can be really excellent for the nerves. And what's, what's going on here is that it's, it's helping your body create NK cells, T cells, um, your, immune, your immune cells. It helps your body naturally create your body's own cells to do these functions. So it's not like adding something to your body that's not natural. It's, it's something that's helping your body function optimally. Um, and so reishi, and these polysaccharides that are in nearly all mushrooms, um, in different levels, different polysaccharides. There's about 160 different polysaccharides within reishi, maybe more. Um, and this is why it's, it's one of kind of the best overall. This is, I think since it's, it helps people, it helps the body balance itself. This is where people have, um, report sleeping better. Uh, you know, people that haven't, trouble sleeping it's it's something that if you take before bed it can help you sleep it doesn't make you drowsy it doesn't make you tired but it's something that helps balance the rhythms of the body uh, other people report just more even energy levels less spikes and dips um, also within mood there's a lot more even keeled and yeah it's it's one of these things it's pretty miraculous in that way so your oh go ahead so cool. So that's probably something that you take every day. Yeah, I take reishi every day. I take lion's mane and chaga every day. Okay, cool. And lion's mane is excellent for brain function. It's pretty wild stuff. It's and it looks like a lion's mane if you ever see it in the wild. And it's a delicious edible that has the taste and texture of crab meat. Oh um, yeah. It's really amazing, just sautéed in a little oil and butter. But um, there's so many ways in which you can cook that mushroom. It's one that grows in the fall on um, beech trees. And it's an easy lookalike. It's one of your top five lookalikes that do not necessarily have uh, poisonous lookalikes. So okay. it's, it's a really, ID. yeah, it's an easy ID. Um, Hericium ornaceus um, is a Latin name. And it's one that is really excellent for brain function. It's it has hercines in it and er, that can pass through the blood brain barrier intact and regenerate the myelin sheaths of your nerves. So what, what does that mean? That means that um, these compounds that are in there are, they're able to pass through the blood brain barrier and your blood brain barrier helps protect um, things from getting into your brain. And so the fact that it can pass through that intact means that potentially your brain is seeing it as a benefit and letting it through. Um, a lot of other medications are changed if they're trying to come through the blood brain barrier and they can regenerate the myelin sheaths. So your myelin sheath, if you think of your nerve like an electrical system where let's just take an example of a light switch. You flip the switch, the light goes on. Why does the light go on? Because there's a wire connecting that message of you flipping the switch to the light going on. And that wire has, like in the case of our current electrical systems, it has that rubber um, sheath around it. Well, similarly, your nerves, which would be the wires inside that, has a sheath called the myelin sheath. And when that sheath gets damaged, the light flickers because that nerve is not protected anymore. And, and this is where you see um, things like dementia um, or MS and things like that. And it's in some cases uh, of dementia can be caused by the degradation of the myelin sheath. Um, but this is something that can actually read, and, and a lot of your medications for MS or dementia are something that slow the breakdown of the myelin sheath. This is something that can actually help regenerate it. And so it's pretty profound because there isn't really anything else out there that we've seen this with. So I think you're going to be seeing a lot more medications in this. And there's, there have been some clinical 
trials with case studies over 100 that have double-blind placebo-related studies that have shown um, benefits for people with brain injuries, nerve injuries, and things like this. Um, so that's lion's mane. That's, that's a really key one. It can also help um, with healing throughout the body, which is mm. pretty profound. But um, any nerve-related thing with foot pain, you know, if it's nerve-related, lion's mane may be able to help as well. And then chaga was the third one that I take every day. Chaga is really great as an immune booster uh, and modulator. It's something that's really great for your liver, for digestion, skin, detox, and things like that. So, um, yeah. Cool. So if people have, you know, people want to go and forge these mushrooms themselves, um, do you have any tips on uh, sustainable uh, foraging of mushrooms? Yes. Yes, I do. And I'm really glad you asked that. Yeah. It's one of the things that we talk about in every mushroom walk we lead is yeah, knowing the impact you have on the environment, you know, leave no trace principles, but also, you know, know what, what you, impact you're having out there. And, you know, we talked about mushrooms as the fruit body of the fungi. Now you can pick all the apples off the apple tree and the apple tree is still fine. Right. Well, it's similar, but, you know, the apple trees don't have the seeds in the forest now to start more, more trees. So that's why I always recommend people follow the one-third rule and leave at least a third out there in the forest um, and, you know, let the animals eat the mushrooms and the spores spread and, um, and you know, these animals to travel out and defecate so that, you know, more mycelium can grow and more mushrooms can grow from the mycelium. Um, but also knowing the impact you're having the environment. With reishi, I only, we only harvest about a half of the reishi we find on the hemlocks here in the Catskills, which generally grow in like July, uh, June, July, and some, some this year into August. And it's one that is it's great to wait until it grows completely and sporulates before harvesting. Now, chaga, we don't know how much is out there in the Northeast. And we're working to uh, put together a little bit of a species survey on that one as well by finding the chaga out there, taking photos of it, measuring it uh, per year and seeing how quickly it's growing. But with chaga, I don't even harvest a quarter of what I'm finding out there. Okay. Uh, the other thing about medicinal mushrooms, it, it's good. It a little bit goes a long way. And with chaga and other medicinal mushrooms, you got to keep in mind that these things are not just healthy for people. They're healthy for the planet. So every time it rains, you know, these polysaccharides are washing into the soil and are being uptaken by microorganisms, which are helping the health of the forest and overall. So it's one of these things that, um, really walking and knowing, you know, walking with reverence and understanding that, um, you know, these things are a gift, yeah, but are that. a gift to all, all organisms. Um, not just people. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the forest is not a factory. You know, we, we've had times where turkey tail um, runs short and it's, you know, we, we may not offer it because it's not, it's not available and it's not, we're not going to take shortcuts in order to, you know, make it, make a cheaper product. So it's, it's one of these things yeah. that um, is important for people to, to understand about our planet if we're to live sustainably. Yeah. And I, I love, I love that idea of reverence for the mushrooms and if it's not available readily, then you're just not going to offer. And I wonder if you are going to quit your job and dedicate your life towards mushrooms you know, you have to be thinking about these things. And I wonder what you think about having chaga in skincare products. You mentioned it's good for the skin. And I wonder if you think that's the best use for it, um, mm. since it is kind of a rare fungi. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good point. Um, yeah. With chaga, I, it's one of those ones that I really recommend people use to the most of its, uh, the most of its degree because we don't know how much is out there and it's one of these things that even after we do a triple extract we save that chaga we grind it up uh, we work with local herbalists to make skincare products like facial scrubs and things like this 
Um, we will, uh, we've done like mushroom beers with it even afterwards. We've uh, make tea for it, for uh, workshops and things. You know, you can really use it to the bulk of its ability. And yes, there are some companies out there that are just taking fresh chaga and making skincare products with it uh, or, you know, selling it as like a one use product. And that's, I feel like is, is taking a valuable resource and putting it down the drain in a way. Um, and, you know, which is where education can help a lot. Like if you do buy a one use chaga product, maybe you can find a way to utilize that chaga and, and use it a few more times and then maybe make a tincture out of it. And that's what we're trying to help people uh, understand. So mushrooms, they, they seem to have such a, a big, a big part of our culture, but also a scary part. Mm. Um, and, and it's like an underground, you know, they're kind of, it's yeah. kind of like how they actually, you know, are <laughs> mostly underground, mostly unseen. Um, but there's a lot of ways that, uh, that in the past, like there, there's folklore of, of mushrooms and how they, um, are used or how they, uh, how they move and what they do. Um, that now science is catching up a little bit. So what, what are some of those ways that you've, that you've found where folklore inter and, and science are intersecting? Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's true. They are so cryptic, you know, and, and this is where I think a lot of people on, on this part of the world in the, in this, in this, uh, in the Northeast and in, in North America, you know, it, it just hasn't, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it hasn't been in the culture for a very long time. It wasn't in the Western European culture as much. Um, it's much more in Eastern European culture. And it's one of these things that, you know, people have survived off mushrooms for a long time. And so they're much more familiar with them. And there are certain things that you see within folklore throughout different parts of the world. Um, but a lot over there and in, and in Asia where there's associations with mushrooms and lightning and, and things like this. And, and you may have seen like depictions of mushrooms and lightning like often. And it's one of these things that, yeah, okay, with lightning comes rain and mushrooms themselves are 90% water and they generally fruit after a good heavy rain. And so, yeah, that could be part of it but more recently in the last couple of years they found a mushroom that only fruits after lightning in europe and so it's one of these things that other scientists have kind of looked deeper into and they found that you know there's certain by pulsing electricity in mushroom logs like if you're growing logs outdoors uh, you basically drill holes in the log and you uh, put the mycelium in there. And over the course of the year, the mycelium runs through the log and then fruits mushrooms. Um, and what they found was if they pulse electricity through the mushroom log between 50,000 and 100,000 volts for one ten millionth of a second, um, it will actually double the shiitake crop yield oh wow and so it's it's really wild that you know we're catching science is catching up with folklore in a way they're taking yeah. keys from you know observations which is really what science is anyway we're observing things and finding that it works again and again and and, and that's what we're seeing in our folklores is because it's been depicted again and again. Now science picks up the study and, and they're finding that, yeah, that it's, it's somewhat valid. And I feel like you're going to see a lot more of this because if fungi are 90% water, electricity is certainly going to affect them. And fungi have been, they've been, they've been talked about as the neurological network of the planet. Um, and that kind of comes out within the four functions of fungi on the planet. Um, we, we know them as decomposers quite a bit, 
because they are interconnecting in a web in dead wood, excreting their enzymes, breaking down that dead wood to be healthy soil. But they're also interconnecting trees. But as they run throughout the soil, they run, they're more analogous to our neurological system. And our neurological system is somewhat like, like electricity in a way. And so um, the way that works underground and in forests is that this, these, this mycelium will interconnect between trees and they'll help to translocate nutrients between trees. And this happens between genus of trees where you can have an oak and a pine and they're connected. And if you deprive one of those trees of nutrients, the other one will send nutrients to keep it healthy and vice versa. Um, mycorrhizal network. Yeah, that's right. Those are your mycorrhizal fungi. So we talked about decomposers or your saprophytes. Um, There's mycorrhizal mushrooms that interconnect uh, the root, the roots of trees and 90 over 95% of plant species on the planet have their root systems interconnected with mycelium in a nutrient sharing relationships. And this is how plants were able to come onto land and why they developed mm. the root systems we know of was to maximize their connection with mycelium. It's amazing. And so this is, this is like, the neurological network. And they've also shown that, and this is a woman, Suzanne Samard up in British Columbia that studied um, these mycorrhizal fungi. She's really fantastic. She's also featured in the movie, Fantastic Fungi. But the, if in a forest there's mycorrhizal connections and a parasite or a pathogen attacks one of the trees on the outside of the forest, the other trees will build up antibodies against that specific pathogen. And so it's almost like the trees are communicating with each other and letting them know what's coming up. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's also very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've also done some work um, in the Amazon uh, uh, remediating soils with uh, mushrooms. That's another really amazing function that, that, um, fungi can can do i mean they're transmuting uh material metabolizing oil and plastic can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that sure absolutely yeah this was back in 2011 i went down to ecuador and studied with amazon micro renewal project uh which is now micro renewal and we were setting up experiments to understand what effect certain fungi out there were uh, having in the Amazon and the hope is to micro remediate or how to use fungi to break down toxins within soils and the way that's happening is similar to the digestive system we were talking about so we know now that um, how mycelium grows mycelium excretes enzymes breaks down lignin cellulose hemicellulose now lignin is a really chemically complex chain and as are hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons are your building blocks of oil. And what's wild about fungi and certain species of fungi, including oyster mushrooms, which are very common and extremely easy to grow. If you're going to grow anything over this winter uh, and you want to get into mushrooms, uh, growing oyster mushrooms is a really great way to go. Um, I teach a class on how to grow oyster mushrooms on coffee grounds. You can use your household waste to grow healthy food and healthy soil. So um, these oyster mushrooms, this mycelium, the oyster mycelium will come across toxins within its environment. And it kind of takes its time and it stalls and it goes through its DNA database to see if it knows how to excrete a certain type of enzyme that can break down hydrocarbons and it does it takes a little while but it, they it ends up excreting an enzyme that severs those hydrocarbon bonds these chemical chains into it cleaves them into smaller parts that are inert and then it absorbs the nutrients that it can through those same hyphal tips so in this way the mycelium is essentially eating the oil and when tested 
afterwards, the mycelium, when tested afterwards, there was no trace of um, hydrocarbons in there or like toxins. So would you eat those oysters? What's that? Would you eat those oysters? Would you eat the oyster mushrooms? Potentially (laughs) not. The other thing about it is sometimes with, um, with toxic sites, they not only just have one toxin in it, there's multiple different types. Right. And right. in the case of what we're coming across in the Amazon, there's heavy metals in there. Yeah. So the mycelium is, you know, heavy metals are elements. They're in the most simple form. You can't really break them down. Um, and mycelium will hyperaccumulate heavy metals. Yeah. And so That's, it's a so head you want to be really careful about where we sourcing your mushrooms, right? Yes, exactly right. So um, if they're hyperaccumulating heavy metals, there's a few different ways in which you can deal with that. In the terms of permaculture methods, you can you know, plant it under a hardwood tree with red wiggler worms, and hopefully those worms will upcycle it, eventually, you know, will break it down, the mycelium, which will get upcycled into the tree, which will be stored for hundreds of years. Um, and just as long as you're not making like spoons out of that tree after it's it's gone, then, you know, it's one way to store it. Um, in a lot of industrial, large scale commercial operations for remediation, they incinerate it. Um, you know, it's, it still poses an issue because now that you have those heavy metals upcycling in the fungi, you don't necessarily want to eat them. You don't want birds to eat them and bugs because then they get upcycled in the environment. So um, it's one of those difficult things. However, there's plenty of other ways in which we could be utilizing fungi here at home to um, help clean up on small scale, such as farms where oyster mushrooms can also help um, clean up E. coli from water systems. So if you set up a straw bale that is running with mycelium downhill from your cows, you can be kind of cleaning up the E. coli from the water runoff before it gets to your water source or stream. Oh, wow. Nice. So yeah, I feel like that's one way in which remediation can, can really um, be a benefit moving forward was, is on small scales, smaller scales and um, at home use. So you weren't kidding when when you said that mushrooms really can save. Yeah, the there's a lot of ways in which that can happen from medicinal purposes. I mean, already they already are. That's the that's the secret yeah. is that they already are, and they have been for a very long time. Um, they made the world in a certain way. Yeah, they they are pretty much running the show, if you ask me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, most of the foods we eat, all your fermented foods, are fungi. You know, yeah. these mm. are. Um, these are spores that are in the air. And if you leave out apple cider, it turns into apple cider vinegar. Why? Like your alcohol, alcohol is fungi, digesting sugars. Mm. It's, there's so many things. I mean, you leave anything out and the fungi are there digesting it. And in some ways yeah. we can utilize, we've utilized that as humans. So it's like, who's grow, yeah. growing who really? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So as someone who's pretty immersed in mushrooms, working with mushrooms every day and always learning more, what are some things that still amaze you or surprise you yeah. about fungi? Um, everything. But I mean, let's see. That's a, one of these things. I would say um, one way in which uh, I've really become more and more interested is within soils. And I know that... Um, Eugenia Bone, she's she's excellent. She's uh, a dear friend, but she also teaches at the New York Botanical Gardens and is somebody that um, was uh, is linked up with the New York Mycological Society. She's past president there, and has written a couple really great books. Um, uh, Mycophilia is one of them, and it talks about you know all these fungi loving people around the world. But mm-hmm. she most like most recently came out came out with Microbia, which talks about um, all these little tiny things within soil. And she says that 
mycology is the gateway science to microbiology. And uh -huh. it's true. I mean, the more uh -huh. I learn about what's going on in the soil and how the fungi are actually interacting within the soil and the way in which they are basically taking the, this symbiotic relationship that's happening between trees and mycelium. You know, the baseline that people are being turned on to is excellent. You know, they're communicating. The fungi are mining nutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, and water and translocating that to trees in exchange for, for um, sugars that the tree is making through photosynthesis. Well, not only is the fungi getting um, nutrients from these trees, but it's also getting carbon that the trees are accumulating. And when, as we're looking into our global warming, we understand that you know, there's, there's got to be something we're doing to um, accumulate um, from the atmosphere, carbon from the atmosphere. And so not only are the, are the fungi taking that from the trees, but they are storing it in the form of glomalin. And glomalin is something that mycelium is making underground. And what glomalin is, is it's almost like this porous glue that helps bind soil together. And it it's, since it's porous, it helps create pockets of oxygen and water that can be sourced by other bacteria within the soil and other fungi. And it's like little catacombs that different, like archaea can help access. And it's literally building soil. And this is one of our major issues yeah. in the world today is the fact yeah, that we're depleting soil. And so if you can find a way to store carbon and build soil mm. just through linking with mycelium, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. So the more glomalin there is, it helps bind soils together. So there's less erosions, less runoff, less landslides, less like major cataclysmic events because you're storing carbon. And, you know, most of the carbon is stored in the fungi. And so mm -hmm. not only are the fungi helping to create this glomerulin and store healthy soil, but they are trapping nematodes in their lassos and they're nearly carnivorous in some forms. Oh, wow. um, they are, um, yeah, creating all these different pathways. And even the dead mycelium gets uptaken by bacteria and just the vast network that's going on under our feet is incredible. And just like, just to give you like a little bit of scale and every square inch of soil, there's a mile of mycelium. And this mycelium is comprising about 15% of that soil. Now, if you were to take a gram of soil, I think there's something like 10 to the 13th, um, 10 to the 13th um, bacteria living within that soil just to give you an idea there is 10 to the 11th like stars in our galaxy or stars in our wow. so i mean it's just the vast the amount of life that's within our soil is, yeah you can't even like picture it you can't even fathom brain. it's so yeah, wow. humongous and yeah um it's like a whole solar system in every a little spoonful of soil. So the more I'm getting into that, yeah, the more I, I'm interested in the little things in life. And um, yeah. yeah, so we've been teaching microscope courses too um, through the Mid-Hudson Mycological Association. And um, one of my main mentors in that, Jeffrey Mann, says the, the closer you look at something, the more there is to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a really infinite. You can look into any direction infinitely. Mm -hmm. So we're almost at the end of the, of the interview time. Um, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, take your, your core. Are you offering um, or how, like, have you been offering walks or is that kind of shut down for the coronavirus? Do you have plans for the, the future for walks and, uh, and your products? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Yes. People can get in touch with me. They can go to catskillfungi.com 
and check out our events page. We're redoing the site now, um, but we'll have our 2021 events coming up soon. We'll be doing some more online events. We're planning for spring and summer, and we're hoping that we'll be able to do in-person events. We weren't doing many public walks this past year, but we did do private walks where we, I would come out to people's land and we walk around and they get to know what mushrooms are growing on their property and maybe how to cultivate mushrooms and things like that. I want We're doing that. some, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, we will be doing a three day workshop at Menla mountain retreat in Phoenicia. We did one in the fall and it was very successful. And, um, they have really excellent protocols with staying safe. We had masks on the entire time and it was, uh, but it was well worth it. We had a great turnout and uh, that'll be posted on the website soon enough. And what we're working on right now is hoping to have an outdoor inoculation education space in Big Indian on the family farm, which will hopefully have set hours come the springtime. If awesome. not summer next year. That's and nice. yeah, you'll be able to source our products online if you go to catskillfungi.com. And the other thing I can say is, you know, the mushroom world is very big. If you're not out in the Catskills, that's okay. There are mushroom companies around you and there's mushroom clubs around you. And there's ways in which you can connect with mushroom people. And they're very inviting people. And they're, they're people that will happily share their knowledge and, and help you along with your journey and your interest in fungi. And that's really what Catskill Fungi hopes to be, is a springboard into mycology for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And one way in which you can connect with people is through your local mushroom club. And if you go to nammyco.org, uh, N-A-M-Y-C, namico.org that's the north america mycological association and they have a list of clubs all over the world all over the united states and in canada and mexico so you can find your local club and get out in the woods with people that know their mushrooms and start learning and building knowledge and foraging and things like this um, there's heaps of books that i could recommend of course, Gary Linkoff's Audubon Guide to North American Mushrooms is a great way to start uh, learning. There's certain websites like mushroomobserver.org or iNaturalist. There's a great way to post pictures and get uh, people to help you identify mushrooms. But I'm happy to connect with you. If you're interested, you can email me at john, J-O-H-N, at catskillfungi.com. I'm happy to connect you with uh, local mushroom resources and things like that. So. Yeah, cool. John, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Every time I talk with you, I learn so much and I really appreciate how generous you are with your knowledge and how excited you are about fungi because it's it's contagious. So thank you so thank much you. for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much, AC. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Isaac. I, I appreciate what you're doing by sharing this knowledge, by getting it out there to people and inspiring people to connect with their herbs, with uh their plants with their fungi mm. and yeah i'm always happy to be another mycelial node that helps translocate <laughs> nutrients to all us other mycelium out there yeah, yeah thank you john yeah